Numbers 25, verses 1 through 8. The word of God says, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses. And in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas and the son of, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly, so that the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that as we look into your word this evening, Lord, that you will speak to us. Lord, that your spirit, Lord, your presence will be among us. Lord, fill pastor with your spirit, fill pastor with your power, fill pastor with your words, and may we be ready to hear and to heed, and to obey your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Brother Charles. Now, that church is quite the account, is it not? And uh, we are tonight in a wilderness wanderings. We are learning some lessons from the children of Israel as they make their way through the wilderness to the promised land, uh, because they're not there yet, and uh, neither are we. Amen. And so there are lessons that you and I can learn. Tonight we're going to be finishing up the account of this man named Balaam. And some of you may be wondering, because Balaam wasn't once mentioned in that entire passage of Scripture, it'll all make sense in just a moment. But to kind of catch us up a little bit, last week you'll remember that there was a man named Balak. And Balak was the king of Moab. Now Balak was scared. Because Balak had seen the power of the God of Israel. And Balak knew that there was no way that he could beat Israel in battle. And so King Balak had an idea. He said, since I can't beat him, I am going to try to find a prophet who can curse them. And so King Balak found Balaam the prophet. And he asked Balaam to come and to curse Israel. Balak, the king, offered Balaam, the prophet, great rewards if he would come do this. And so Balaam went to God and asked, and God said, no, you're not to go with them, and you're not to do this thing. If you remember from last week, Balaam wasn't particularly convinced that God meant what he said. And so when Balak sent back greater men and more riches, Balaam asked again. And we find the error of Balaam, that's what we looked at last week, the error of Balaam was that Balaam was a man of a double heart. Balaam could not deny what God wanted. What God wanted was clear. And yet Balaam wanted what he wanted. 
And he did his best to force the two together. The error of Balaam was that his lips pointed in one direction, but his life pointed in another. The error of Balaam was that he wanted to live on the fringe of what God might permit. And yet we found what you and I call permissible, God calls perverse. So Balaam goes. And we ended last week, Balaam and his donkey. The donkey saved Balaam's life three times. They had this whole awkward conversation, and uh, that's kind of where we left off, where Balaam had finished talking to his donkey. Amen? Everybody with me tonight? So, to bring the story around, Balaam eventually did make it to King Balak. And as you read Numbers chapter 22 and Numbers chapter 23, you will see the different attempts of Balaam to to go to the Lord to accomplish what Balak had told him to do. And so Balak, over and over, attempts to prophesy upon Israel. But what you find as you read those passages is every time God causes Balaam to bless Israel. Now you can imagine this doesn't make King Balak very happy. He's paying good money for this man to curse Israel. And every time he opens his mouth, he blesses them instead. But what can you do? When God puts the word in your mouth, you cannot go against God. But Balaam had one more trick up his sleeve. Balaam didn't want to be denied the riches that King Balak had offered. By the way, when it's all said and done, when Israel does destroy Moab, because they do, Balaam dies with them. Balaam, though he could not curse Israel, had one more trick up his sleeve. And so tonight, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the doctrine or the teaching of Balaam. We see that played out in Numbers 25. Look with me as we begin to... uh, uh, Discuss the passage beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called unto the people, called the people unto the sacrifices of their God, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods, and Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Roman numeral one tonight, if you're taking notes, I think you have to see the deceptive ruse here. Moab invited Israel to join them in a feast to their false god, Baal. Does that sound familiar? It should. So Moab invites Israel to come and join them in a feast to their false god. In particular, the scriptures indicate that they sent the invitation by the hand of the pretty ladies. And as men are wont to do sometimes... They accepted the invitation at the hands of the pretty ladies and they went over and they joined themselves unto the sacrifices of Baal and they did eat and they bowed down to the gods and verse number one committed whoredoms with the daughters of Moab. And church, this was Balaam's grand plan. Balak knew he couldn't conquer them. Balaam knew he couldn't curse them. And so Balaam's plan is if we can't conquer them, and if we can't curse them, then let's get them to corrupt themselves. 
Revelation 2 and verse number 14 makes this very clear. Where the Bible says there, uh, who taught Balak, speaking of Balaam, to cast a stumbling block. Uh, We'll go to the beginning of the verse. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast here them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. What is the doctrine of Balaam? Who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. To eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. In other words, everything we see here in chapter 5, was masterminded by the prophet Balaam who was supposed to be a man of God taught to King Balak and executed upon the people of Israel. They couldn't conquer them and they couldn't curse them and so they caused them to corrupt themselves. Understand tonight, Moab's invitation to Israel was not real. They didn't want to be friends. It wasn't real. It was a ruse. That they might corrupt themselves. Church, I think the doctrine of Balaam can be summed up in one word. And that is simply compromise. The doctrine of Balaam seeks to blur the line between God's people and the world. The doctrine of Balaam claims to offer the best of both worlds. You can please God and please yourself. That's the doctrine of Balaam. The problem is a church that has their eyes on the world will quickly lose their desire to win the world and begin to desire to be like the world. It's a constant pressure we face. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 in verse number 2, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might approve what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. By the way, The world has a standing invitation to the church. The world has a standing invitation to the Christian. Anytime you want to come over, you're more than welcome. You can have the best of both worlds, Christian. You can still please God and please yourself. You can have it all. Come on over, they say. The water's fine. The sad thing is, is we've been invited to join the world, and many have. Many a church and many a Christian have sought to keep as much of the world, have sought to keep as much of the culture as possible. I think it's sad that how the church has adopted the entertainment culture of the world. Let me ask you, let me ask you, and I just want you to think. Do, does the modern pastor and modern church leader more resemble a rock star or a servant who washes feet? You can, you can answer in your own heart. What, what, what do we more resemble? You see, we've done everything we can to keep as much of the world as possible. We've tried to keep the entertainment culture of the world. We've tried to keep the materialistic culture of the world. We've tried to maintain the permissive culture of the world. There's so much immorality, so much worldliness, no boundaries, no convictions, no standards in the church anymore. I've mentioned this before, but a so-called evangelical church a couple of years ago opened their Easter service with the rock song, Highway to Hell. Saw a video just last week of a, of a minister of another denomination who was claiming to ordain a man in women's clothing. And quoted Romans 12 too to do it. 
And the sad thing is, is much of the church and many a Christian have accepted that invitation and we look more like the world than we do Christ. But church, hear me, the world's invitation isn't real. It's a ruse. They don't love you. They don't want you. They want to use you for their own gain and use you to blaspheme the name of Christ. It isn't real. It's a ruse. But it's deceptive because the doctrine of Balaam that that seeks to blur the lines, what it does is it, it seeks to relax our loyalties. The problem is, is that being a Christian is by definition an issue of loyalties. That, that I am dead to myself and that I live to my Savior. That I reject the culture and I take up my cross. That I understand I cannot serve God in mammon. I, I cannot live for life and death. I cannot limp between two opinions. I have to come out and be separate. I cannot love the world. Because if I love the world and the things of the world, the love of the Father isn't in me. Christian, do not be deceived. Solomon wrote to his son in Proverbs 1 in verse number 10, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. The doctrine of Balaam is a deceptive ruse. Christian, it's okay. You can have it all. Don't fall for the deception. The doctrine of Balaam is a deceptive ruse. A deceptive ruse that brings a devastating ruin. Did you know what happened when the children of Israel accepted that invitation? Verse number four, the Bible says that, verse number three, it says that the Lord, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And the Lord said unto Moses, take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay every one of you his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. You see, when we accept the ruse, when we compromise, compromise always brings ruin. We see here that God commanded that the idolaters be dealt with. God sent a plague. God commanded judgment. In total, Numbers 25 and verse number 9 tells us that 24,000 people died. 24,000 people died because of compromise. Church, as we search the scriptures, compromise is always dealt with severely by a holy God. Back in Revelation 2, we see a very similar compromise that one of the churches made. This is the church of Thyatira. And notice the compromise that they made. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which callest herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants into committing fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And so it's not Balaam this time. It's got a different name to it. It's that woman Jezebel. But it's the same stinking sin. Notice how what the devil uses on us doesn't really change. He plays on our appetites to please ourselves and put things in front of God. But when this church compromised, I want you to see what happened. 
Verse number 21, he says, I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Church, God deals severely with compromise. It's likened to spiritual adultery. James 4 in verse number 4 tells us that. I'm not sure if I gave you that scripture or not, but Don, if you could get that up. James 4 in verse number 4. It says, uh, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, compromise, is the enemy of God. You see, when we give ourselves to befriend the world, we are committing spiritual adultery. And by the way, that's a big deal. You know, there's a lot of things that you can accuse a man of. But you accuse a man of being unfaithful to his spouse, buddy, that's another level. But we're in a situation where it's not even being unfaithful to our spouse. It's being unfaithful to our God who gave himself for us. God commanded the idolaters be dealt with. You know, church, I'm not surprised when the world acts like the world. I'm not surprised when the world comes up with some new level of immorality. I'm not surprised when the world indulges in immodesty. I'm not surprised when the world soaks in the vanity of their social media. I'm not surprised when the world gloats in the carnality of their entertainment. I'm not surprised when the world harbors hatred and anger against one another. I'm not surprised when the world is blind to their hypocrisy. I'm not surprised when the world acts like the world. But I am saddened by how quickly the church looks to join in. And I'm going to tell you, it's worse for the people of God because we know better. We know better. But it seems in our day and age that we have zero discernment anymore. Between what is holy and unholy, what is clean and unclean. It seems like all that matters is what we want and what culture wants. It seems that even all that our Christian teenagers care about is what is cool and what is not cool. How about what is Christ-like, what is godly, what is righteous, what is good? I'm not surprised when the world acts like the world, but I'm saddened how quickly the church looks to join in. You know, I'm not shocked by the destruction of sin. Because sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It'll always keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll, it'll always cost you more than you really want to pay. I'm not shocked by the destruction of sin. But I am shocked by how surprised Christians are when their sin costs them. We whine. Why is God doing this? Why is God allowing this to happen in my life, in my family, to my reputation, my ministry? We, we whine like we have no idea why judgment comes. But the problem is, is sin always leads to loss. 
Job 20 and verse number 5. The Bible says that the triumphing of the wicked is short. And the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. Sin always leads to destruction. In Psalm 73, the psalmist beginning in verse number 3, he admitted at the beginning of the psalm, he said, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Boy, sometimes don't they make that, that pleasure of sin for a season, don't they make it look like they're having so much fun? And sometimes it's, it's hard not to get frustrated at people who do it wrong and yet seem to have it so good. As he developed the psalm, you jump down to verse number 17. The Bible says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein, speaking of the foolish and the wicked. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casteth them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. Because sin always leads to destruction. And sin ultimately leads to To death. James 1 and verse number 5. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Christian, it doesn't matter what they tell you. Christian, it doesn't matter how much fun they claim to have. Christian, it doesn't matter how long they've claimed to do it and get away with it. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And if we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption. You see, the deceiving ruse led to a devastating ruin. But God doesn't leave us there, amen? Because God gives us here a divine remedy. Look what happened, verse number 6. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. These people were broken. Uh, they were seeking the Lord. And, and in, in the midst of the, the prayer meeting as it was, We have this man who brings a Midianitish woman back into his tent. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went in after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel you got to understand the scene. Again, I mentioned that Israel was weeping and broken at the, at the gate of the tabernacle. They were weeping and broken for the judgment, for the plague that had been sent. And yet in the middle of this prayer meeting, the man's name is Zimri. We find it later in the book. By the way, he was the son of a leader in Israel. Zimri, the son of a prominent family, uh, brought himself a Midianitish woman of ill repute back to his tent. This was absolutely, it wasn't for the sake of evangelism or discipleship. This was absolutely a brazen act of wickedness. And it was done in front of everybody, including Moses. No shame whatsoever. Boy, isn't that our world today? Isn't it easy to get discouraged at that? There's just no shame. 
There's no shame. There seems to be no depth to the depravity. There seems to be no shame to what they're doing. There's so much carnality in this world. And honestly, there is so much compromise in the church. What can we do? Well, enter Phineas. I see in the midst of all of this, one man chose to honor God. And that one man who chose to honor God made a difference. What did he do? What should we do? I'll point out a couple of things. Go back, if you would, Don, to verse number 7. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. Don, leave it right there. I want you to notice, number one, that he recognized the problem. The Bible says he saw it. He saw it. Phinehas didn't turn a blind eye. Phineas didn't put his head in the sand. Phineas was willing to recognize sin for what it was. Now, I don't know what Moses was doing. It was in the sight of Moses. Maybe Moses thought it was more important to stay and to, to cry out to God. But at any rate, Moses didn't do anything about it. But Phineas saw it. Church, we cannot afford to become blind to what is happening. Here's the thing, sin will fight to stay in the darkness. May I, may I talk to those of us who are parents and, and, and to a great extent even grandparents tonight. Sin will fight to stay in the darkness. And so yes, we, we do need to be nosy in parenting our children. Because sin will fight to stay in the darkness. Our children, our grandchildren, aren't going to come at us and say, look what I did. See how bad this is? So yes, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, we do need to monitor and direct our children's friendships and monitor and direct our children's entertainment and monitor and direct their language and monitor and direct their, their, their spiritual growth. We need to be engaged and involved. I'm going to tell you, it's real easy in this day and age, and I would dare say that the vast majority of parents really don't know what's going on on their child's electronic devices. That's problematic because sin will fight to stay in the darkness. Sometimes we don't want to know. We, we tell ourselves, we tell ourselves, well, that stuff's just so complicated. Well, if it's more complicated than you, should, than you can control, then you shouldn't have it in your house. If it's not more complicated than you can control, then you need to learn how to control it. And do so. By the way, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, that's good for us as well. To have openness and accountability with our spouses and with one another. Why? Because sin will fight to stay in the darkness. Sin will fight to stay in the darkness. And we can't afford to say, well, we know it's out there, but, but, but rather than see it, we're just going to cry out to God, God, help my kids, God, help my marriage, God, help my spouse, God, help my church. Church, since sin's going to fight to stay in the darkness, we must fight to keep the light turned on in all areas at all times. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse number 11. 
And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. We have got to fight to keep the light turned on in all areas at all times. It's what we watch. It's what we listen to. It's what we look at. It's what we wear. It's how we talk. It's who we hang with. It's how we study our Bibles. It's how we pray. It's how we seek the Lord. It's all of those things and many more. We have got to get out of that Smurf world where we just kind of skip along. La, 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 la. Everything's wonderful. And we got a dumpster fire behind us. The house is on fire. The church is on fire. And everybody's skipping around, humming a tune because we're not willing to see the deception that is leading to destruction. The Christian life is not a playground, it is a battleground. And might I even offer a call today to our men? We have got to man up and see what is going on. And when by God's grace we see what's going on, we've got to man up and do something about it. You see back in verse number 7 that he didn't just see it. The Bible says he saw it and he rose up from among the congregation. He left the prayer meeting. He grabbed a javelin and he did something about it. He recognized the problem and he refused to be passive. He saw it. He rose up. He didn't conceal it. He didn't coddle it. He killed it. He killed it. Phineas killed it. I pray God give us a backbone to kill the sin in our lives and homes like that. There's a whole lot of passivity in the church of God these days. Well... I just don't know. Well, it's just not my place. Well, you know, Jesus taught us to deal radically with sin. Matthew 18, verses 9 and 10, and Jesus says it in other places, that if your hand offends thee, cause you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye offends you, cause you to stumble, pluck it out. Deal with sin. And by the way, no one is exempt. This guy, it's pointed out, he came from a prominent family. He was the son of one of the leaders of a tribe of Israel. No one is above God's law. He recognized the problem. And he refused to be passive. When he did that, the plague was stayed. When he did that, he pleased the Lord. When he did that, he prevented further loss. I'll tell you, we need some Phineases today. You know, Phineas chose to honor God 
And God chose to honor him. I want you to see kind of how this thing rounds out. Pick back up in verse number 10. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Look at verses 12 and 13. Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God, made an atonement for the children of Israel. When Phineas chose to honor God, God chose to honor you. I'm going to tell you what we've talked about today, being willing to see the sin and being willing to do something about it is not easy. And it probably will not be well received. But when Phineas chose to honor God, God chose to honor him. God gave him peace, God gave him a place, that priesthood, and God blessed his posterity. In other words, God said, I'm going to take care of this man, and I'm going to use this man, and I'm going to bless his kids. And boy, isn't that what we want. But church, we've got to watch out. Because that doctrine of Balaam is still out there. That doctrine of Balaam is dangerous. It's dangerous because it's subtle. And so, so sinful. It's dangerous because its consequences are so severe. There is no blessings in the blur. You will only find bondage there. And so at the end of the day, we're left with a choice. A choice of which of these men are we going to be like? We can be like Balaam. Remember Balaam, I know God's will, but I know my will too. Let's see how we can fit them together. And Balaam, a man who did everything he could to accrue unto himself the riches of this life, ended up destroyed. And then we have Phineas, A man who is willing to be zealous for his God when nobody else would. A man who is willing to see sin and deal with sin. A man who refused to be passive. And God said, I'm going to bless this man and I'm going to use this man and I'm going to bless his kids. Give him peace. Give him a place. And bless his posterity. Which one are we going to be? See, tomorrow morning we'll have a choice. When we wake up, how are we going to live our lives? Trying to blend God's will and mine or being zealous for God alone? You see, tomorrow when you get home from work, you'll have a choice. Am I going to live in such a way that I try to blend God's will with mine? I mean, it's been a long day. I deserve this. Or am I going to live in such a way that I am zealous for my God and his glory alone. By the way, whichever route you take, it's going to dramatically change how you live. We're not there yet, church. May God give us a church full of Phineases who are zealous for his glory.